You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Thank you, brother. Amen. Well, it is good to be here tonight. Amen. Good to see each one of you out in the services. Let me slide that over just a sad. And uh, it's good to be back here in Elk Point. Amen. So the last time we were through was last July. And we were making a swing all the way out into the state of Idaho and back. This one's been a bit shorter. I've been preaching last week up in Euland, Minnesota. And so we were northeast of, the, of Fargo about an hour, maybe three and a half hours from the Canadian border. It was a bit cold up there for my southern blood. We've already had some 90 degree days back home. So dropping down to 23 made it a little bit tough. And then the four inches of snow we got. On Tuesday, if we'd have been in Georgia, where I'm from, we would have locked out church for the next seven weeks. I'm certain of that. And uh, they weren't even late for church that night. Amen. Uh, came home for supper at 6 o'clock. So uh, we had a great week with uh, Brother Caleb there and, and the good folks at Walworth Baptist Church. We appreciate um, the opportunity to come by. So, so uh, this has been a shorter trip, just a, a quick stop on our way back into North Carolina. But... Last July, we were out in the midst of about a month-long trip, and I came by, and we were in the middle of that pandemic, and I guess we still have a pandemic, and I understand that, but it looks a whole lot better tonight, Brother Hedessy, amen? Man, there were so many empty seats, and so many faces were missing, and now tonight, I see you back, and you're in your place, and I praise the Lord for that. It's been difficult, but God's been faithful, amen? Amen? And it doesn't matter what we've had to endure or what we've gone through. God's still on the throne. God still knows how to handle our circumstances, knows how to handle our situations. And I'm grateful that God does just that. Look in your Bible tonight in the little book of Jude, if you will, please. And I, I really won't linger here in Jude. I, I just want to use it as a starting place to speak to your hearts tonight. The little book of Jude. We'll read three or four verses here in just a moment and uh, share with you the thoughts that I believe the Lord has placed on our heart tonight. I know you had a great week with Brother Brady and Miss Angel, personal friends of ours, and they're dear, dear, dear people of God, and I know they're doing a great work, and I'm certain that God used them here at Elk Point um, as well. So it's, uh, it's exciting for me to get to follow after them because I know, um, I, know the, the I know the bar that's been set. Let me put it that way, all right? And I appreciate their ministry and their faithfulness to the Lord and what God is doing in, in their lives and with them. And I trust that he'll continue to do that. If you do not, uh, when you leave tonight, I brought some fresh prayer cards. Left some last July, I'm certain, but we have new photos on them. Nothing else has changed except the boys got bigger. So please pick one of those up when you leave and go out the door tonight. And uh, remember to pray for our family as we crisscross the United States. And then... Pray that the Lord will continue to move to open the international community. It, we are still more or less shut out, and we have been now for two years. We canceled just right at 10 weeks of international meetings this year um, because of an inability to travel. So you got two dilemmas that you face, one being you know, one country may be open, they may allow you to come, but when you get there, everything is completely shut down and so that doesn't help us you can't go and actually minister can't hold church services if you can they're very limited or 
We can go into a country that has very little limitations as far as travel or, or meetings are concerned, but being a foreigner, being an outsider, when you come in, you have to quarantine in government facilities for about two weeks. And that's not exactly a, 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 a perspective that we want to try to take advantage of either. I had uh, an opportunity to go to Papua New Guinea, and uh, from what I've been told, Papua New Guinea, uh, and uh, after you clear the quarantine, is basically unaffected. They've had very little cases, and they are pretty much operating on a regular, normal basis. But for you to go to their country, you must spend 14 days in a government-appointed hotel at the grand sum of $2,000 plus food. And so uh, it kind of uh, adds a bit of expense to the trip, and then you have a two-week trip you're planning to preach, and it becomes a four-week trip, and so that becomes impractical at best. And so please pray. Um, we are excited about some opportunities in 2022, if the Lord will open those doors, possibly even later this year. I've got a couple of guys that are sitting on um, ready, and they're, they're thinking their countries are going to lift some restrictions, and so... We're praying about that and trusting the Lord will help us. Jude, um, if I say chapter 1, don't get nervous. It only has one, but it is technically chapter 1, I suspect, all right? But let us pick up our reading in verse number 1 in this little epistle that comes near the end of our canon of Scripture. Verse 1 said, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved... In Jesus Christ and called. What a title. I mean, how much better description could we ask for than those three statements? He said we've been, he said we've been sanctified by God the Father. We've been preserved in Jesus Christ and we're called. And then he said to those that are in that category, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just going to finish reading there in verse number 4. I'll be honest with you, there is such an abundance of material in those four verses that it would be foolish for us to think that we could even begin to scratch the surface of the depth that God has given us in these simple words. We notice our position in verse number 1, sanctified, preserved, and called. We notice our provision in verse number 2, mercy, peace, and love. And then we notice our adversary or our problem in verse number 4. And, and, and Jude said in verse number 3, I need to speak to you. I need you to earnestly contend for the faith. Then in verse number 4, he's going to tell us why that that contending for the faith has become an absolute essential necessity. He said because there are men, ungodly men, that have crept in unaware. That tells us 
that they are amongst our ranks. And he said, these men that have crept in unaware, they've been undetected, they've been unchallenged, uh, and, and I would say they've been, un, uh, they've been uncorrected. They've never, they've never been a correction issued in their life. And he said they're guilty of two things. Number one, they are turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. That means that they believe that uh, the, the presence of grace is a license to sin. And so they believe that because they have grace, they can live an ungodly or worldly lifestyle, satisfying, pleasing the flesh, without any kind of contradiction from the Word of God. Well, the Bible said that you're not supposed to do this or that you're not supposed to do that. And their argument is, I see that, but I have grace. Well, Paul settled that a long time ago in the book of Romans when he said, when sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But then he asked the question, he said, because grace abounds as sin abounds, should I continue in sin that grace may abound? And the answer comes back a resounding God forbid. Amen. Paul goes on to say, uh, excuse me, uh, James, I think it's James, goes on to tell us that the grace of God teaches us, uh, Titus, that we, are to, that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly and righteously in this present world. So he said there is, a, there, is a, there is a segment that has crept in that turns the grace of God into lasciviousness. And then the ultimate result of denying God's grace as it is appropriate is that they will deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The key to producing a Laodicean church is the denial of Christ. That's why he is on the outside. They would not deny his existence. They would not deny his endeavors or his works, but they would deny they need him. That's why he's on the outside. They think they are rich and that they have need of nothing when God reminds them that they are in fact poor and needy and should ask him for everything. Well, that's a good synopsis of four verses. But I want to point out in verse number three, right in the midst of this conversation, the apostle Jude said this. He said, when I wanted to write unto you of the common salvation. And I'm intrigued by that expression, the common salvation. Now, the word common in this context is not as we would normally associate the idea of commonality. When we think about something being common, we think about something that is, that is just ordinary. It's run-of-the-mill, it's everyday kind of thing. But I must remind you tonight that the salvation that you and I enjoy in Jesus Christ is far from ordinary. It is extraordinary. Amen. It's not every day. It's, it's something far more and far better than this world could ever comprehend. So 
what does Jude mean when he said it's a common salvation? I believe he has two meanings. One, I believe that he teaches us that all men are saved by the same grace. There's not two ways to heaven, Jesus declared. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, modern theology that gets off track and off course and ends up shipwrecking men always begins by allowing something other than what the Word of God teaches. It's extra biblical. Amen? And so the idea of a common salvation crushes the idea that somebody can get saved some other way. Amen? You see, great theologians even in our country uh, of a bygone era that were known for their gospel message in the latter days of their life changed their story and they began to embrace false denominations, false religions, false ideologies, false teachings uh, and because it was expedient under their expansion. But there's just one way to heaven. Uh, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Uh, Romans 1 and 16, for it is uh, and the power of God unto salvation uh, to everyone that believeth to the Jew first uh, and also to the Greek. So there's not many powers, there's one power. There's not many ways there's one way. It is a common salvation. And then I'm persuaded that Paul also, excuse me, Jude also speaks and not only about the fact that all men are saved in the same manner, but I believe he is reminding us that all men can be saved. Amen. It's not a limited atonement. It's not designed so that some can get in and others cannot. There's some places I can't go. I don't have the right credentials. I don't have the right entrance fees. I don't come from the right grand of society. I don't have the right amount of money in my bank account. Amen. Uh, but I'm glad that when it comes to the, sol the common salvation, whosoever shall call uh, upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, I sure am glad tonight that you didn't have to belong to some elite group. Uh, you didn't have to come from some particular organization. Uh, it didn't matter what the color of your skin was, uh, what the social status was, uh, what dialect you spoke, what culture you came out out of. Uh, it, be honest, it didn't even matter who your mother was or your daddy was. Uh, what mattered was if you were willing to call uh, on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you could be saved. Uh, and so I want to use that tonight. I told you I did not linger here uh, in Jude very long, but I want to use that tonight and speak to you on this thought. Now I've got three things I'd like to share with you on when Jesus uh, saved me. Uh, now, Pastor made a comment about I started preaching when I was uh, but 10 years old. I, I've been preaching 44 years this past uh, February. Uh, but that means that before then uh, I had an experience of grace. Uh, I got saved. Amen. Uh, Seven-year-old boy at Eastside Baptist Church uh, in Lawrenceville, Georgia. I got birthed into the family of God. Now, I come from a Christian family. I used to say that I started going to church two weeks after I was born because that's what mom said. She took me to church 
uh, two weeks after I was born. And, but then one day she corrected me and she said, but I carried you to church uh, nine months before you was born. Uh, lived in the shadow of the steeple, never knew anything but church, never had a discussion on Saturday night about where I was going to be on Sunday, never asked, amen. Uh, because we knew if nobody was sick or had died, uh, we were going to be seating in our place at the church house. Uh, and so I, I got saved at the age of seven. I came from a Christian home, a Christian family, but I didn't get saved because I had a Christian mother. I didn't get saved because I had a Christian father. I got saved because there was a personal experience in my own life when the Holy Ghost convicted me of my sin and I asked Jesus to save my soul. And by the way, he did. Amen. Now, let me say that one more time. He did. I believe that everybody that's ever called out in true faith and repentance has got saved by the grace of God because that's what makes his word true. That's what makes his promise true. Amen. I'm glad he's long suffering us. We're not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And so I'm thinking on this thought when Jesus saved me. Well again, what took place? Well when I think about the salvation that I enjoy. And by the way, Hebrews said in chapter 2 verse 3 Paul said it was a great salvation and in chapter 5 verse 9 he said it's an eternal salvation what happened when Jesus saved me well first of all let me say that God had a ransom paid there was a ransom paid when God saved me what a price beloved that God was willing to pay so that I could be set free uh, at the ransom of my soul. Uh, there's some thoughts that come to mind. Number one, uh, could I say it was a heavenly ransom? Uh, it was a heavenly ransom. Uh, what do you mean by that, Brother Moore? Uh, you see, the one that had to be satisfied was God. Uh, and the only one that could satisfy God was God. Uh, and so 2,000 years ago, uh, on the brow of dark Calvary, God gave himself as a ransom to satisfy God on my behalf. I remember hearing Paul Harvey and this crowd sitting behind. Pastor won't know who Paul Harvey is, but some of you on this side will know very well who Paul Harvey is. Paul Harvey used to tell a story every Easter about a pastor somewhere up in the northern states that came to his pulpit with an empty, rusted birdcage. And he told the story of how he attained that birdcage. He said he was walking through their little town or their city, I guess it would have been. And he said there was two little boys walking up the street and they had that rusty birdcage and inside that rusty birdcage was two old brown field birds. And the preacher inquired as to what they were going to do. Where'd they get them? And the little boys said, well, he said that we caught them. We laid a trap and we caught them and we put them in this cage. And the preacher said, son, what are you going to do with those birds? And he said, well, we're going to take them out here in the field and we're going to play with them and we're going to torture them. And he said, probably we'll just kill them. They're not worth anything anyway. 
Well, the preacher said, what do you want for those birds? And the little boy said, ah, preacher, you don't want those birds. He said, they don't sing. They'll fly off and leave you. They won't have anything to do with you. They can't help you. You don't want those birds. Preacher said, never mind you that. Tell me what you want for them. The little boy said, well, he said, give me a dollar and you can have the cage and the birds. Preacher reached in his wallet, took out a dollar, gave it to the little boy. The little boy is awful happy as he ran down the street toward the candy store and the preacher had him a metal cage rusted with two old field birds on the inside. Went over to the shadow of a building where the building protected from the wind and he opened the door and he said he tapped on that metal top and those two little old field birds popped out of that cage. Looked around at their freedom, never said thank you, never tweeted three times but they flew off into the distance. He set that cage on his pulpit and he said that's what took place in eternity. The Lord came across the devil and he had a cage and in it was humanity, mankind. And he said, where'd you get them? And he said, I laid a trap and I caught them. What are you going to do with them? He said, oh, I'm going to teach them to make war and hate each other and steal and kill. And he said, ultimately, they'll just die. They'll just die. And the Lord said, what will it take? I want them. What would you have for them? And the devil said, you don't want them. They'll laugh at you. They'll mock you. They'll even crucify you. Jesus said, never mind that. What will you take for them? The devil said, it'll take all of your tears and all of your blood. And then the fellow said, and Paul Harvey told the story, Jesus stretched out his hands and died. Well, I love the story. It's got a great tone to it. But there's one problem. Jesus didn't negotiate with the devil. Jesus negotiated with the Father. You see, it wasn't the devil that was offended by mankind's transgressions. It wasn't the devil that was offended because I was a sinner. It wasn't the devil that was responsible for my punishment or my judgment. It was God Almighty and God the Father whose eyes are too holy that he cannot look upon sin was offended by my wickedness. He had made me in his own image. He had made me perfect in every way. But I'd sinned against God. I'd sinned against his law. I'd sinned against his nature. And I'd offended God. And the only way that God could ever be satisfied was for God to stand in my place. I'm glad 2,000 years ago it was the Son of God that hung on dark Calvary's brow and died in my place. It was a heavenly ransom. Then number two, let me say it was a holy ransom. It was holy, friend. You see, the one that died in my place was the sinless Son of God. In him was no sin. There was no evil thought, no evil deed. In, in, in our scriptures, the Bible said he which knew no sin became sin. Oh, 
Paul, we're reminded that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, and yet for our sakes he became poor. Now, he's not talking about dollars and cents, houses and lands. He's talking about spiritual wealth. The sinless one became sin. It's careful, careful, careful. He never did sin. He became sin. He took on the likeness of sinful flesh and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we have beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. So it was a heavenly ransom. It was a holy ransom and then it was a high ransom. Oh, he had to pay a high price. He thought a lot more of you than you think of you. He knew more about you than you know about yourself. It was the southern gospel artist, Dottie Rambo, that penned the words to the great song. She said, he looked beyond my fault and he saw my need. He saw not what I was, but saw what I could be. And I'd done give up on me, hadn't you? Some of you'd reach the end of your rope. You'd tie a knot and you couldn't even hold on. Hell was all you could see in your future. It's destined to die without God and face the judgment for your sins. Oh, but he was willing. And oh, I suffered. And the scriptures use such terminology as they laid the furrows on his back. His visage was marred as never a man. But he did it willfully and he did it joyfully. And he despised the cross but he endured the shame. And Hebrews 12 and 2 said for the joy that was set before him. That's you and I. He paid a ransom. What a ransom that he paid. It was a high heavenly holy ransom. Then number two, write this down in your notes. I'd say not only did he pay a ransom, but I'm glad he could consider the rescue. Amen. I'm glad that he didn't leave me where he found me. I'm glad that he did something in my life to make a difference. God is not only a master at taking care of your eternity, but he'll help you with today. Amen. He can take a life that's broken and shattered uh, and put it back together again uh, and because at Calvary he was victorious not only over death, hell and the grave uh, but he got victory over sin. Uh, you see sin's power was that it infected every individual of Adam's race uh, until Jesus. Uh, but when Jesus came uh, he wouldn't yield to the tempter. Uh, he wouldn't give in to the temptation. He didn't falter or stumble in an hour of trial or trouble. And he was perfect and sinless, the Son of God. And when he went to the grave, he whooped sin. And now Paul said, Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Oh, death, where is thy sting? Why? Because the, the, the power of death in the grave is sin. But in Christ, there's victory over sin. I'm glad we don't have to preach a gospel that only deals with eternity, but it can deal with tomorrow. You can say to the drunkard, I know where you can find help. You can say to the dopehead, I know where there's an answer. You can look at the broken 
and say there is a remedy for if any man be in Christ Jesus. He's a new creature and the old things are passed away and behold all things have become new. Let me, let me say this to you. When I consider the fact that he rescued me, he gave me victory over my past sin. Look in your Bibles. We'll not turn much, but I want you to turn quickly to 1 Corinthians and look at a passage of Scripture with me tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter number nine, uh, chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let us consider this great truth. In verse number 9 and verse number 10, without reading those verses, we learn the great problem of the text. That is, he said, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He goes further. Paul didn't mince words. He even listed some things that could be considered unrighteous. He talks about fornication, adultery, adultery, effeminate, abusers of themselves, thieves, covetous, and so forth. And so that's bad. We agree with that. That's bad. But then it becomes a personal problem in verse number 11. The problem of the text is, and such were some of you. That presents a problem because sin, the great separator, will prevent you from inheriting the kingdom of God. Ah, but there is an answer. I'm glad God didn't present a problem without an answer. He gave the answer. Here's the answer. He said, and of such were some of you, but God threw in a Holy Ghost conjunction. And he said, but, but, and he goes on to say ye are washed ye are sanctified ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God somebody ought to say praise the Lord hallelujah he did not leave me in the mess that he found me he rescued me and he, he broke the power of my past sins. Use three terms, washed. That's the, that's the word we would associate with our forgiveness. Amen. It speaks about the physical victory that he gives us over sin. Then he used the word sanctified. Literally means that we are made worthy to be used. That's a spiritual term terminology. The last phrase is justified. That's a legal terminology. It speaks about our standing. How about that? We've been forgiven and the sin has been washed away. We are sanctified. Therefore, although we are still in this outer man, he's made us worthy to be used by the master granting us access into his presence. But when we get there on what grounds do we stand for we are the descendants of Adam the curse of mankind he said don't worry about it you've been justified just as if I had not nor could I have sinned and my standing changes because he does not see me but he sees the righteousness which is in Christ Jesus his wonderful darling son thank 
thank God uh, for my standing. Now, not only did he give me a, a rescue uh, uh, from the power of my past sins, uh, he gives me victory over the power of sin in my daily life. Uh, that's the practical aspects of the gospel. Uh, I'm not preaching perfection uh, because I've not attained it. Uh, I'm not preaching that because I hadn't arrived. Uh, Paul comes to the end of the way and he said, I count not myself to have apprehended. Uh, but he said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, you still got your Bibles open? Look in the book of Romans. Uh, in chapter number 6, uh, the great grace chapter. Uh, I'll just hit a couple of high points quickly. Victory over the power of sin. Uh, in verse number 6, don't you notice this? I'm going to hit it hard. Uh, verse number 6, he said, Knowing this, uh, the old, our old man is crucified with him, uh, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Not, and, and he said that henceforth we should not uh, serve sin. Uh, I want you to write down that God uh, in redemption, in our salvation, has broken uh, the bands of slavery. Uh, he said we're not servants to sin. Uh, we're not bound in sin uh, because he has destroyed uh, that old man of sin. I know he's still around. He keeps coming back. But he was defeated at Calvary. Uh, then I want you to skip down with me in verse number 12. Uh, notice the shift. Uh, he said, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, uh, that you should obey it in its lust thereof. Uh, we looked at the word serve in verse 6. But in verse number uh, 12, we look at the word obey. Uh, now, the servanthood, the slavery, uh, uh, it's that addiction issue. Uh, it's that I don't want to, but I do. Uh, I tried not to, but I failed. Uh, sin had a hold on me. Uh, but then he said in verse number 12, sometimes we obey sin. Uh, that's a willful choice. Uh, I call it the bonds of submission. Uh, you don't have to obey sin uh, because there's one within you uh, that's greater than you are. Uh, and he's greater than Satan is. Uh, and he's greater than sin is. Uh, thank God for the indwelling person of the Holy Ghost of God. Uh, one more. Look in verse 14. He said, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. So we talked about servants. We're not slaves anymore. Obedience, we're not submitting ourselves willfully anymore. But then he said, We're not subject to the dominion of sin. We don't belong to his kingdom. Amen. We're not subject to his laws. He said once that law of sin and death reigned in our mortal bodies, we don't belong to that kingdom anymore. If I travel across the ocean, I go to a foreign country, in the proper of that nation, I'm subject to their laws. But in that nation, if we have a U.S. embassy, that's considered sovereign territory. It's just as much America as if you were standing in Elk Point, South Dakota. And if I get inside that embassy, yeah, then I can look at the officials on the outside. Yeah. 
and say, I'm not subject to your laws. I am in this sovereign state. Aren't you glad we can look out the window, so to speak, and thumb our nose at the devil and say, I'm not subject to your laws. You don't have power over me. You don't have dominion over me. I don't walk in your darkness anymore. Let me sum that up. Go to the book of Colossians. Real quickly, chapter number one. In the book of Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, and uh, then the book of Colossians, chapter number 1, verse number 12, uh, giving thanks unto the Father. Wow, what has God done for us, uh, which hath made us meet to be partakers uh, of the inheritance of the saints in light. You don't, you don't have to walk in deception. You walk in light. You don't walk in darkness. The Bible said men love darkness because their deeds are evil. John chapter 3. And they will not come to the light lest their deeds should be reproved. But you and I are not in darkness anymore. He's the light. And that, life was, that light was the life of men. Now wait. Look at verse 13. Here's where the answer is. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. That's sin, Satan, society. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. What are you saying, Brother Moore? I'm not subject to sin and Satan anymore. I have a new Lord and a new God and a new sovereign. And I'm, I've been removed from that darkness in the kingdom of darkness. And now I belong to the kingdom of light which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Victory over the power of sin. Victory over my past sins. And then there's victory over the presence of sin. One day, one day, one day, I'll get victory over the very presence of sin itself. Now to have victory over the presence of sin requires two things. Number one, it's going to require a new place. You see, I live in a cursed world I got bad news, neighbor. It's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse and worse. The Bible said it'll wax worse and worse, like a candle burning. It'll get worse and worse. Oh, but thank God there's a new place. John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth where indwelleth righteousness. Aren't you glad one day he's going to take us out of this place and move us over to his place? And when he puts us in his place, it'll be a sin-free place. He'll clean this place up. When we come back, it won't have sin either. Amen. I'm grateful for a sin-free world. He's going to deliver us from the presence of sin. But then let me say this. If he let you go like you are, he said, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. Unrighteousness can't inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because if he let you go like you were, you just have sin in a better place. You'd change your environment, but you'd still be a sinner. So he's going to not only give us a new place, but he'll have to give us a new person. Amen. 
Amen. Uh, this, immort this mortal will put on immortality. This corruption will put on incorruption. Amen. Then shall be brought to pass that saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Uh, aren't you glad uh, one day we get to lay this outer man aside uh, and that inner man that's on the inside that's made in the likeness of God cannot sin. Uh, you say, preacher, what's your new person going to be like? Don't know. Uh, how do you know you're going to like it? Because it'll be like him. Uh, in First uh, John chapter number 3 verse 1, he said, beloved, just behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us uh, in that we should be called the sons of God. He said, the world don't know us because it doesn't know him. Uh, verse 2 begins, and now then, uh, we are the sons of God, uh, and it doth not yet appear uh, what we shall be. Uh, but we know uh, when he shall appear. We shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. I don't exactly know what I'll be when he gives me a new person. It'll be enough because it'll be just like him. Sinless as he's sinless. Perfect as he's perfect. Righteous as he's righteous. I say bless his name. He not only ransomed me, but he rescued me and give him the glory because we have been been rescued. We've been rescued. There's another point, but I'm not going to preach it. He also saved us and he gave us a relationship. Just think about what you got in Calvary. Thank you, preacher.